Welcome to Scum, Beer, and Villainy, the podcast about beer, geekery, and everything in between. I'm your host, Marcel Harper. I've been brewing beer for more than a decade now, and I'm the author of the Beanabrewer.com blog. I'm joined in the studio by my co-host and fellow nerd, Matt Bezeling. Matt is a beer aficionado and definitely does not secretly fight crime late at night while wearing spandex. <laughs> definitely not. Hi, Matt. Hi, hi, Marcel. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Good. It's episode two. It is episode two of our newly named podcast. Yeah. We finally, we got a name. We got a name. We even got a logo. We look half professional. Yes. Half, uh, exactly half. half professional. We're half there. We're literally half professional. Maybe a year from now we'll be there all the way. <laughs> then we'll move on oh. to new things. Um, before we start, I'd like to thank you for these snacks that you've brought in. Yes. Uh, I thought it might be a better idea and more responsible for us to have snacks while we have beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you have brought in snacks that were edible? I, uh, that, I'm working on that, man. Oh, it'll be more tasty <laughs> to eat the box that these snacks came in. Yeah. Well, I mean, they taste very similar to the box. <laughs> it's very, very it's, close. It's flavored box snacks. <laughs> Edible cardboard. It's a thing. It's a thing. Well, it's a thing now. So, we've got a really cool show ahead of us. According to you. According to me. According to you, says you. So we're going to do quite a few things today. We are actually going to spend some more time on homebrewing because that is also a a large part of the show and last time we did nothing on homebrewing. (laughs) (laughs) And so some of the homebrewers who who listen to the podcast ask me, okay, so when are you going to do homebrewing? So today we are definitely going to talk about that. The advanced homebrewers will probably feel a bit frustrated at today's show because we're going to talk about stuff they already know, but maybe not. Maybe there will be some tidbits you... You didn't know about or at least be reminded of again which is always not a bad mm-hmm. thing to get back to basics yeah um so we're going to talk about what homebrewing is what beer is made of what are the ingredients and some basic techniques to get you started in in this wonderful hobby of homebrewing then we are going to move to some music the music today who is the music today the band the motherland I heard some uh, snippets earlier on. I've got to tell you, they sounded pretty funky. It's a wonderful little indie folk band, uh, The Motherland. They, they've been around for a while now, and I just love their music. I've seen them live a few times. They, you know, they, they really sort of crack that modern folk sound. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, classic folk. I mean, mm. Bob Dylan folk eventually gets a little bit... Are we allowed to criticize Bob Dylan? He got a Nobel Prize. He did. That's weird for me. I think it surprised Dylan more than anyone else <laughs> that he got him a Nobel Prize. Um, I mean, no, good for him. So good you don't him. like Bob Dylan? Um, Bob Dylan is... No, he's not on my favorite... On my list of favorites. Why don't you like him, man? It's just like... It's like... Exactly. And, oh, okay, cool, Bob. I mean... 
It does prove, though, that you don't have to actually have a good voice to be a singer. No, yeah, nor do you have to be entirely, you know, literate or audible or any of those things. It it gives us all hope that one day maybe we too could win the Nobel Prize. Yeah, by making grunting noises into a microphone. But what is your favorite folk act? Um, That's a stupid question. It's not a stupid question. question. No, it's a stupid question because I don't have an answer to it. Ah. Um, I'm not sure that's the questioner at all. (laughs) Um, I don't know, man. If we go back to, like, 60s... 70s. I mean, can we talk about things like Peter Paul and Mary? And um, I mean, is that folk? Wow, man, you're old. Folky? Is that? I don't folk? know. You're Does this old. Count? You look way young. Is America folk? I mean, I love America, but they kind of maybe poppy folk. Mm. I don't know. I was thinking more contemporary folk, but okay. contemporary folk. Mm. Has there been any real folk for? Of like, course. Oh, David Gray. Oh, really? David Gray. He's oh, depressing. He's so depressing. David Gray. He was my boy, man. He's depressing. Yeah, well, I, I mean, can't, I can't listen. My my psychologist tells me I'm not allowed to listen <laughs> yeah, to David Gray. You're legally excused from yeah, listening to David no, Gray. I get into a bad space when I listen to that man. David Gray's got some beautiful stuff. And no, he is pretty good. Folk, folk music in general is supposed to be kind of sad. It's whimsical and sure. melancholic. and It can also be kind of funny, though. It has a humorous component to it. But that's probably the folk that Dylan does that I don't like. Mm. My favorite folk act, which you should try, is Josh Ritter. Have you ever listened to Josh Ritter? No, but the name wonderful, sounds familiar to wonderful, me. I think wonderful, you've told wonderful, wonderful artist. Yeah, he, he does some whimsical, interesting stuff. He's got his lovely song where he talks about the, a guy who falls in love with with his fellow ICBM missile um, <laughs> launch. You know, like they always have two people partner, down there yeah. in that in that bunker, and yeah. then so. He starts falling in love with her, and he starts thinking about maybe she should just end the world, and they can live down here forever that is in a perfect harmony. Cool concept. It's a beautiful song. So while you were while you were talking about that, I remembered that one of my more recent folk uh, interests was I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Decemberists. Mm, I know the Decemberists very well. Um, Eli the Barrow Boy is like one of those weird songs that sound like they should have been made fifty years ago and mm. stood the test of time. Um, also sparked some conversation uh, from people who've listened to the first episode. Has it really? It has. Oh. And would you like to talk about that, Matt? I really wouldn't. That's okay. a, a dog. Is it a mystery? <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep a, that. A, maybe we should keep that as a special, special like an prize mystery thing. So someone who listens to the podcast who's not related to Matt. Yes, who isn't my mom, who's the only person who can ask that question. And, and can figure out who the band is, will win a prize. Yes. Maybe they'll win a date with Matt. Maybe they'll... No, my wife's not going to be happy about that. <laughs> Using my new Also, that might not actually be a prize. That might just be... No, a yeah. Maybe my prize is I get to leave the house. Mm. I don't think your wife lets you out enough. <laughs> I'm so happy I'm here today. <laughs> yes. only 16 years. So fucking sad. Can you, before we move on, mm. um, we have two beers in front of us. The one I think we're going to talk about later. Yes. But um, can you just 
give me the the skinny on this one that we've been plowing our way mm. through. So this is our intro beer. We always have intro beer. Intro beer. And it's actually the lo- the same company who made our last intro beer for episode one, which is Jack Black from Western Cape. And we are today finally drinking finally the drinking Lumberjack. Just the special nectar of Indeed, the gods. The Lumberjack. And I, I know that this is one of your favorite beers, man. Yeah, this is my, this is my go-to. Mm. This is my go-to. I think it's one of the most easy drinking, um, pleasant tasting, well-rounded uh, it's uh, yeah. yeah. To me, it's it's up there with my with the perfect beer. It's it does what I want it to do to me. It's an incredible beer. I mean, it's it's an American amber ale style. The style really is meant to to foreground a lot of the speciality malts they use here, and mm. it's mostly caramel malts or also known yeah. as crystal malts, and it gives you that toffee caramel flavor. Mm. But it's also quite hoppy, and so like with many American ales, they they really up the hop quotient. Mm. It's balancing out. The citrusy American hops with sure. uh, the sort of crystal malt toffee flavors, and it's just a beautiful beer. It's just that, that balance is, is my favorite. It's incredible. It's got that nice crispness which you get from the. I don't know. There's almost a flintiness to crystal mm. malt sometimes if you use a lot of them, and and amber ales use more crystal malts than most beers. Mm. That's really where crystal mm. malt shines. And and for the again for the homebrewers out there, if you want to make a nice amber ale, you've got to be at least at a, at a 10% sort of ratio of your of your malt bill must be crystal malts. So you can layer them. So there are different kinds of caramel malts which are killed at different lengths of time. Mm. So that's what makes them crystal malts. Sure. So they take a pale malt and they kill them and, and it sort of roasts them and caramelizes the sugar inside of the, mm. the malt. And depending on how long you do that, they start becoming darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. And so you can even layer those different dark darkness levels of, of uh, caramel malts to get a more complex flavor. I was going to say, does that lead to more complexity? It does. Um, I found that definitely in brewing a lot of amber ales that the more um, amber, or not amber, but crystal malts you use, the more complexity you get and the more depth you get. Mm. So it's, it's a common mistake, I think, if you want to really make a, a super um, amber ale is to just use one crystal malt and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's more expensive because the more malt you use, the more expensive your beer is going to be. But I do think it, it rewards um, in, t- in, in return of complexity of flavor. True, and I think that is something I would like to see more, and we've spoken about it this before. But it would be really nice to see more information on beer about the ingredients in South Africa. Um, there's no need to feel cagey about telling mm. people what malts you put in. Mm. You can't replicate a recipe to make it taste exactly the same because mm. your process in your brewery is far more important than the ingredients. Mm. Um, so even if you give it to another brewer and they do exactly that recipe, it's not going to taste the same because mm, their sure. brewery is not the same. Yeah, sure. But I mean, that's the same, you know, Gordon Ramsay isn't scared of handing out recipes on the internet. Well, exactly. That's he, why he's chefs... afraid people aren't going to come to his restaurant. Sure. Chefs write cookbooks, you know, it should tell you something about how not afraid they are of you <laughs> replicating what they do. Um, and it's what's, a lovely, lovely beer. What else have we got up today then? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about beer appreciation. And I think that's a really good topic. In fact, maybe we should talk about it now because we are appreciating the hell out of this beer. Yeah, yeah, appreciation is coming out of my eyeballs. Yeah. And it certainly is helping freaky, me. Matt. I don't like it when it comes <laughs> out of your eyeballs. Please don't do that. Oh, my God. It's, uh, it's certainly helping me wash this packaging down. Yes. Thank you for the packaging. Thank you. It's delicious packaging. So while we eat our packaging, let's talk about beer appreciation. So I think it's an important thing to understand and to really get involved in as a craft beer fan and if you're a home brewer especially um, and if you're a brewer in general 
beer appreciation is like any other art form of appreciation. So if you if you're a wine fan and and I know some beer people are like oddly anti wine. I'm not sure why, but uh, I dig wine. Do you I dig wine? wine? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I'm actually very bummed that I missed Winex this weekend. I don't think I'm allowed back into Winex. Right. So uh, I know I about didn't that. Really, didn't really miss anything. Well, last year when I went back to Winex, uh, I saw a picture of you <laughs> yeah. on the door saying, don't let this guy in. Yeah, it might have been due to the fedora I was wearing. Mm. And I mean, mm. if, if you're wearing that to Winex, you shouldn't be allowed in anyway. I like fedoras. No, that's fine. Just don't do what I did. Right. Mm. I don't want to know what you did. <laughs> no, neither did Winex. <laughs> but, uh, but there's a way of appreciating wine. There's a way of appreciating um, whiskey. And there's definitely a way of appreciating beer. And it... I think it improves the the overall experience of having a good beer if you know the the basic steps, if you like, in how to appreciate a good beer. Mm-hmm. One of the key things in appreciating a good beer is to understand that there are several stages. So it's not just dunk the you know beer into a glass and, and, you and know, then guzzle it, it down. And then I'm glad I yeah. drank that beer. Or even worse, drink it straight out of the bottle, which is, I think, not good. Really? Yeah. Really? What if you have no glasses? Then you should wait. <laughs> you should you should exercise some restraint. Um, and I I just really hate drinking beer out of a bottle. I don't like mm. seeing people do it because it it's removing a large part of almost all of it, mm. all of the steps in beer appreciation. You're removing. You're really just then honing in on the taste. Mm-hmm. And you're also not getting the right taste because it's not you're not allowing that beer to breathe and to open up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because any liquor does need a bit of oxygen to sort of open up the flavor. And it needs warmth um, as well. So that's why you should also not drink craft beer at near zero temperatures. Mm. Because what's going to happen is when a near zero temperature liquid hits your tongue, it puts your taste buds to sleep. And so you will not really taste much after that. So what you're saying is that all of those things that are incredibly bad for um, us to do with uh, craft beer is what you mm. actually want to do with mainstream beers oh yeah and that's that's exactly why things like Castle Light for instance they recommend that you drink it at zero as cold as possible and they've they've got their taps at those zero and it's got ice on it and that's the whole thing it's it's a good strategy if you want people not to taste anything in your beer (laughs) Um, and already Castle Light is so flavorless that that if you now still chill it down to zero you will really be tasting wet air Okay. Which uh, is exactly what it tastes like just to just to clarify we're now we're now not scared of naming names here no, I think we were pussyfooting around a little lo- last week. We were like, oh, do we, do we actually use mm. the word Castle Light? Well, I think it's okay. I mean, I'm sure SA Brewery might eventually sue us and then we'll be in trouble. <laughs> I finally get to get, go on the run like I've always wanted. Yeah, it's great. Can we get, like, motorcycles and stuff? Then you're not on the run. You're on the ride. Right. Well, can we do that anyway? Uh, yeah, I don't have a license. We'll so reenact we'll Easy Rider, but for modern times. Maybe we can just take a slow walk. Okay, fine. But uh, be like that. Yeah, I mean, if you drink a beer at that temperature, you're not going to taste much. Okay. Well, okay, so having, having laid the groundwork mm. for, for what you shouldn't do, mm. let's, let's talk about what we should. Right. So, so what's, what are the steps that you For me, this, the steps would be, you know, obviously pouring it into a good, a good uh, glass, and you do get different glassware for, for beer. There is a sort of a, a thing where they recommend different kinds of glasses for different styles of beer. And isn't that a bit wanky? You know... I don't, I've never really tested it. And maybe that's not a bad idea to test. We should put this to the test on the podcast to see if it really changes the experience of the beer to put it in the correct mm. glassware versus not correct glassware. Mm. I've never tried it. Mm. I've never really experimented with it too much. I mean, I, I tend to have a bit more of a hard and fast thing where 
if I drink a Belgian ale, for instance, something high in alcohol um, with a lot of um, aromatics, I tend to put it in a tulip sort of glass or yeah. a stemmed glass yeah. uh, because it does seem to concentrate the flavors a little bit better. Um, but that's pretty much the only rule I've applied. And, and I, I tend to just like nice glassware, I have to say that. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, that's an aesthetic thing. Mm. I mean, pretending that it has a real influence over the taste of your beer, I mean, until proven differently, I'm going to say that's a bit mm. wanky. Yeah, maybe. And I think, look, if nothing else, I think it's the mouth of the glass which is really most important. So yeah. if, you're, if the mouth of the glass is very, very wide, it's going to allow all the aromatics to escape very quickly, and you might not get that aroma from beer. So that's why I tend to prefer glasses with a slightly tapered end, um, if anything, I'm not a big fan of those uh, trumpet glasses, which just open up all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that's about the only thing I've really considered when when looking at glassware. But today, just for our listeners' sake, for those of you playing it up, <laughs> uh, for those of you getting drunk on a Sunday morning, <laughs> yeah, we're drinking this uh, lumberjack from what is commonly referred to as a Bavarian style glass. So that's a Bavarian style glass we're having it out of it. I enjoy it. I like the Bavarian style glasses. My favorite is probably a, a sort of a goblet or a, a stemmed glass, and I like it because you can grip it by the stem and it doesn't heat up the beer. That's actually the point. Uh, that's the point of a stemmed uh, glass. But okay, but yet you just mentioned that it's also good for the beer to get a little bit warm. But not like thirty-seven degrees warm. Not like holding a uh, a snifter of cognac. No. kind of swirling no. it around. No. And, now, because if you hold the beer for a long time, it will warm up beyond what you want it to. Okay. That's also the point behind the tankards with the, the handles. Yes. So that it's removed from the glass itself. Yes. Um, so that's the disadvantage of Bavarian glasses or your Pilsner glasses, there, that you're gripping it next to the beer, basically, or you're, you're surrounding the beer with a little heater called your body. Yeah. The first point, put it in nice glass where the glass should be clean and beer clean. In other words, rinse it with water before you pour the beer into it. Don't trust your dishwasher or whoever washed your glasses. You have to rinse with the water properly because it's going to affect your foam um, and, and a lot of other things in the beer. Any little particle which remains inside the glass will affect foam build up in a beer. And it will appear then that your beer doesn't have foam, and in fact it does. And speaking of foam, that's one of the, the parts then which you're going to start appreciating. So the first part of beer appreciation is you're going to look at it and see it properly. Mm-hmm. So it sounds a bit wanky. No, no, but no, but, that, but I suppose that is... It's the, the visual. It's yeah. the plating. Exactly. And you start appreciating beer by looking at it properly and seeing the color of the beer. So the first part of it is the color. Um, what color is it? And there are different colors which indicate different things which the brewer did with the beer. You've got your straw-colored beers, which are using a lot of pale malts. You've got the amber ale, which we're having right now, which has that beautiful golden amber color, mm. which tells you, oh, okay, they used malts which have that color. Because mm. malt is the thing which imparts color to beer. Um, is it clear? Is it crystal clear? Is it hazy? Is it cloudy? Um, most beers, as we said last time, should be clear. Mm. Very few styles call for cloudy beer. Yeah. But there are things the brewer could have done to make it cloudy. You may recall from episode one where we did... Um, the saison from Darling, um, that it was a little bit cloudy because they had dry hopped. And dry hopping is one of those techniques a brewer would, would use, which has the result of making the beer slightly cloudy. So the appearance is important. So we're looking at color, we're looking at clarity. Then we're looking at the foam. I, th- I like foam. Foam is, is a, for me, a, a essential component of beer because foam is a chemical reaction, actually. It's, it's a chemical reaction of the beer ingredients with air. Mm. when you open it up and 
it's i mean there are magnesium components from the malts which react to air and there are alpha acid components from the hops which react to air and it creates this foam and foam has a lot of aroma attached to it especially hop aroma you'll yeah. you'll find that foam has a lot of hoppiness no, in certainly, it. Yeah. Um, and it's part of the experience of a beer for me and if a, if the beer doesn't have any foam and i know my glass is completely clean mm. then that could be a problem for me mm. um, i don't like a beer which pours without any head mm. And so that's the visual part of beer appreciation. And then you, then you smell it. Then you, you don't just quaff it immediately. You smell a bit of the, the aroma. And there are even some techniques you can use. Okay? Different smelling techniques. There are. So actually it's, it's interesting Fuck that... You, I know. I mean, come on. I'm sorry, man. Different smelling techniques. Well, there are ways of doing okay. it which will give um, you the maximum aroma my, versus my, not. My mind is open. Go. Right. What most people will do is they will just take the beer and they will like breathe in the beer. That is one way of doing it, but your, your sensory um, nerves, they can become overwhelmed very quickly. So a better way of smelling the aroma of beer is doing what, what uh, people refer to as a drive-by. So this, is, this does <laughs> the, not involve a 9 millimeter. The, yeah, but I know, I know what you're talking about. This is that, that uh, stereotypical 1980s sommelier yes. kind of wave past. Yeah, you wave the beer past your nose. And then you get that whiff, and you do it a few times. I'm so glad there's not a camera in here. And then you really pick up the aroma. Another technique is to open your mouth a little bit when you, when you smell the beer, and then you actually taste it a bit more. So it actually increases the aroma. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. It Maybe does. a little bit. I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready to admit that this right. is working yet. So, so that's the aroma of beer. What you can also do to activate the aroma is you can put your hand in, on, on top of the glass and shake the beer a little bit. Just to open the aroma. To Dutch oven your beer. Dutch oven the beer, and then if you smell, there's much more aroma. Well, it smells more like my hand now. Well, you know, you should wash your <laughs> hand before you do this. Well, I had to change my own fan belt. <laughs> and, and then you really get that aroma. So that's part of, of the appreciation of beer, is the aroma. Uh, because the aroma is not identical to the taste. There's obviously some aroma components which won't translate into the taste. And then you drink it, and... What's nice about beer appreciation when it comes to the drinking part is unlike wine, we generally don't spit out the beer which we taste. No, because that's ridiculous. It's weird. And it, there's a good reason for that as well. But beer has one of the components of beer appreciation is what we would refer to as mouthfeel. It's the way the beer feels in your mouth, but actually more how the beer goes down and the aftertaste of, of the beer. And you can only really experience that if you drink the beer. Mm. You don't really experience that if you just mm. taste and spit. Mm, sure. Um, so, and, and then you can also feel the carbonation level on your tongue. Is, is it very carbonated? Is it lightly carbonated? Um, and so that's the different components of, of beer appreciation. And if you, if you just spend a little bit of time separating them out into those stages of appearance, aroma, taste, aftertaste, um, it, I think it, it enhances your experience of a beer. Mm. While I might laugh a little bit at the at the wave past method and mm. um, you know how much that really changes how much you're enjoying your your beer, understanding your beer is half of knowing your beer is half mm. of enjoying your beer, uh, and I think Absolutely. it's important that if at least we give people the tools to know how far down into knowledge they can go, mm. they're going to enjoy it a lot more. I really I think you've na- hit the nail on the head there. I think there is something there's an interaction between understanding something better and enjoying it more. Mm. There, mm. Sure, you can enjoy any beer without knowing anything about beer. Mm. 
But knowing everything which goes into beer and how it's made and all the things which, which you should look out for, mm. I think really enhances the experience. Mm. Yeah, I think it also imparts, and not to sound ridiculous about it, it also imparts an air of sophistication onto your uh, ability to make decisions about what mm. you want to drink. Um, and if you go into the bottle store and you're buying the same thing week after week, that's fine, but have a reason for it. Know why sure. you're buying that thing. Exactly. Make your choices based on having a slight sophistication about what you've tasted, what you've smelt, what you've looked at. Mm. And the next time you go in, that decision is going to be a lot easier for you to make. Absolutely. And, and what we've spoken of a little bit already, and I, I think bears repeating, would be that if more consumers are more educated about the beer they drink, then bad beer won't be so common. Yeah. Brewers who produce bad beer will be quickly you know, caught out. Yeah. Um, outlets like pubs who serve beer which is off because they didn't treat the kegs properly or they didn't clean their lines mm. or whatever um, will also experience more consumer feedback which will change that. Mm. I'm not seeing mm. enough people do that. I mean mm. if you send beer back in a restaurant because it's off and everyone does it, mm. the restauranteurs and the pub owners will start you know, waking up to the fact that you know, we can't just sell any swill to people and they'll yeah. accept it. On, on that point, that's actually quite an interesting topic to go through because Look, it doesn't happen often that I send a beer back, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to say, you know, this is a, mm. this, this beer is flat, or, you know, it's obviously old. It's, I can taste it's dusty, whatever it might be, and quite often the response is kind of incredulous, like, yes. why? How do you know mm. that this is? How can you tell? How can you tell this is beer? Sure, you idiot. You just drink it. Well, yesterday I was at a, a course uh, designed to to teach people about how to start a microbrewery and. The some of the people there told me that the the pub owners where they've put their beer down would have off beer which they served to their guests some of their beer which because it wasn't mm. refrigerated properly or the lines weren't clean and then they the the pub owner would just or the manager would just tell the guests yeah but it's craft beer it's supposed to be like that. <laughs> yeah um, that's how you know it's good yes and it's it's such utter bullshit yeah and, and not I mean those people are damaging our industry yeah. By saying that, because yeah. now people are going, oh, well, okay, if that's craft beer, then I'm not going to have any more. Yeah, because the implication is that a lack of care equals a lack of quality equals, mm. cl- equals craft, yes. which is totally ridiculous. It's, it, it is a ridiculous idea that craft beer is supposed to taste off, mm. um, or anything, for yeah. that matter. Or, yeah, or you just don't understand it. Indeed. I, I mean, we spoke a little bit about sours and lambics mm. and stuff uh, last episode, and, and that's an interesting point. So, a sour beer... Um, which I've had a really good sour beer the other day, and we'll talk about that a little bit later at, at Essa on Tap. The sourness of sour beers is a different kind of sourness than an off sourness, mm. which some beers can suffer mm. from. So, so not all sour is created equally. Yeah. Um, I, I think what you're basically saying here is that no matter what flavor is going on in craft beer, it's not supposed to be unpleasant. Yes, it's supposed to be. You can have different flavors. You yeah. can have challenging flavors. You can have bitterness. Mm. But it's not supposed to make you feel sick when exactly. you drink it. And some lambics are very challenging for me. Um, mm. Your Gyrza uh, sub-style and lambic beers, um, are they are hectic. I mean, they mm. have the whole barnyard in there. <laughs> um, and I find them very difficult to drink mm. because I am very sensitive to those flavors. But sure. when I sip them, I realize this is supposed to be like this. It's a beer. Mm. The flavors are integrated. They are very weird flavors, but they're not off. Yeah, they're, they're on purpose. Exactly. So yeah. a sour beer, which is off, tastes off. You don't want to mm. drink any more of it. Mm. Mm. It's not a personal preference thing. It's, it's clearly sure. wrong. 
So, I mean, again, to so to wrap everything up is if, mm. you, if you're able to pour your beer, to look at your beer, to understand your beer, to taste it, to to understand the aroma, all of these things are going to contribute to being able to make a decision about that beer and go, you know, this is a good quality or a poor quality beer. Exactly. So, we, so. we are now at the section of our uh, podcast you've been waiting for. <laughs> we actually get serious. That one listener. That. Which is Matt's mom. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Frankie. Thanks. Thanks, Frankie. I'll Thanks, be there Mrs. for dinner Bezzling. on Tuesday. We're going to be reviewing a beer. Mm-hmm. Matt. Mm-hmm. We are going to be reviewing today a beer brewed by the Red Rock Brewing Company. They are a new brewing uh, house in Joburg. I think their, their brew pub or restaurant kind of thing is in uh, one of those funky neighborhoods in, in Joburg Central. Yeah. They're... Ale we'll be reviewing today is called Nine Inch Ale. <laughs> Clever. 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 It says on the label, handcrafted, master brewed. Wow, that's that's for us to decide. That certainly is for us to decide. And and also, interestingly, for a craft beer, they don't come in 440-millimeter yeah. uh, bottles. These are 340s. Yeah. Uh, it's got Red Rock stamped in the glass itself. I was going to say, it doesn't, which that's can't a be cheap. pretty pricey embossing the actual glass. Yeah, that's, um, it looks that. great. I mean, that, that embossing on the bottle itself it's, looks it's fantastic. Uh, Red Rock 9-inch ale. Matt, what do you think before the pour? What do you think about the bottle I, I like the bottle. I mean, the, it, it's actually not a conventional 340ml bottle. Um, there's this thicker neck. Mm. Um, obviously, the embossing stands out beautifully. Yeah, um, I've also noticed they've got the, the printed bottle caps as well, which says the Red yeah, Rock Brewing Company, which is very yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the feel of the bottle is really, really nice. I, I do like it. The, the label itself, it's weird. Um, I kind of half dig it and half, half don't. Sure. Um, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a very kind of stylized. I, I, like, I dig the name because it's, it's ridiculous. Referencing it's, some it's, uh, band there, right? Yeah, we, yeah, I think it was an early 70s kind of pop band right oh i thought it's uh yeah yeah oh, right yeah oh, you're having one aren't you uh, bastard oh, I? yeah um no I, I dig the name i like clever names like that no no sure. nine inch is very cool but the yeah the 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 kind of logo type on the bottle is a bit weird there's a goat and then the nails and nails. The, well the yeah the nails obviously the thing yeah it's a weird little motif um yeah i mean i i i, I don't think the front of the label is as strong as the bottle itself Sure. But um, the the back label is quite cool. It's it's nice and clean. Um, mm. I like the fonts they've used. Um, gives you all the information nicely laid out. Social media stuff is there, mm. um, and the Red Rock kind of logo type itself, um, although quite classic, is is nice. You know, it's a um, it's it's a relatively conventional. You've got the two little hops on either side of the label, um, yeah. on either side of the logo. Um, but I mean, the the, the font is clean. Yeah, I think I think the the back like the, the color, back of the label for me that, the color of the label kind of dark pussy blue dark kind blue. of thing. I like yeah. dark blues. Yeah, it's nice. like a, like a navy almost. It's a navy. No, it's nice. I I think my overall impression the bottle mm. more than the label. Um, but, I guess the question overall, here is, Matt, if if it was standing next to other craft beers in the fridge at the liquor store, would you reach for it? <sighs> probably, like I say, probably more based on the bottle than on the label. Mm, mm. Um, it, Look, it, they've got some nice copy here on the back. Yeah, things like yeah, absolutely. They talk a little bit about the ingredients, which I always like. They say it's got Belgian crystal malt in it, that it's got Simcoe hops in it, that it's an amber ale. Right, can I pour this next to the we're, mic? We're pouring. Let's see if we can get oil. That's lovely. That's nice. We got they've got a full pour there. <laughs> pour sounds. 
Right. So, what are your what are your impressions of? Okay. So once we've poured it now, and crystal clear, crystal clear beer right off the bat. Nice head. Uh, Multicolor. Yeah, I mean that's it's not as as dark as I would think an amber ale should be. So amber suggests red, right? So so does it? Yeah. I thought amber suggested gold. Am I on the wrong? Mm. Have I been playing the wrong role playing games? Yet? I think you may have. Oh, okay. Um, so mostly Stupid amber mincer. amber ales are more reddish in color. This is more sort of light. I mean, it's very light amber. I would think yeah. would be the characteristic and. Uh, it's more golden. More, more syrupy. It's golden, yeah. Mm. It's like a dark golden color. But very clear. I mean, you can you yeah. can read through this beer. Yeah. Which yeah, I love. I love yeah, the nice clarity. Clarity, yeah. I'm not getting much aroma out of this beer. It's a bit closed. Matt, what do you smell? Yeah, I'm, a little bit of caramel. But yeah, not not the most open beer I've ever smelled. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting kind of toffee, toffee caramel notes on the smell and the aroma. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a lot. It's, no. it's interesting that there's not a strong aroma here, which kind of worries me a little for an amber ale because that would suggest that they're not they're not spending all that much money on <laughs> on a lot of different. <laughs> well, they've spent it all on embossing their bottles. I mean, good grief! Now when we drink it, mm. yeah, it's, it's yeah, it kind of translates the same way. It's a bit blah, I have to say. That that kind that kind of lack of depth in the mm. nose is translated there into the into the actual flavor. Of, yeah, you know, it's a little bit weak. It is, and it's it's quite grassy. Uh, the flavor for me for an amber. So they say they use Simcoe, and Simcoe is, is a lovely hop. I, it's one of my favorites. And I'm not sure I taste the Simcoe all that much. Uh, it's mostly grassy. Mm. So my suspicion is that they're using a South African hop for bittering the beer. I mean, they're, they're adding a touch of Simcoe at the end for flavor and aroma, but it, it mostly tastes to me like a very South African hop pale ale. Yeah, there's not a lot of complexity in the flavor yet. Yeah, and I mean, going by the name Nine Inch Nail, I expect mm. it to have a little bit of bite to it. You know, I expect well, it to they, be they a, say a this is alternative music. Yeah, Nine Inch, nine no, inch Nails I'm, I'm didn't make um, middle of the road pop music, did they? No, no. It, it should be. Sonically aggressive and challenging, and I'm not quite mm. sure I'm getting that. Well, on the label it says the underground genre of alternative rock music was our master brewer's inspiration for this full-bodied amber ale. I'm getting nothing of that. Uh, and I also wouldn't say full-bodied. It's is... not full-bodied. It's not alternative. It's not underground. It's mm. kind of bland. Yeah, that's actually quite disappointing. Mm. I was expecting a bit more from that. The, uh, you know, it had a really lovely color and clarity. I mean, the, the ale sort of... Promises something it doesn't deliver on. Yeah. Um, Distinct lack of bitterness. Yeah, it's bitter, but in a very hard way. I mean, it's it's got that almost granite-like bitterness, which yeah. a lot of, I think, South African hops I was going to say, is that that South African hop? I suspect mentioned. so. Look, I mean, I might be completely wrong, but I, I would be totally surprised if they're not using a, sort of Af- a relatively low-cost African hop mm. to bitter out this beer mm. and then adding only the slightest whiff of Simcoe because mm. Simcoe is an expensive hop. It's imported from America. But I'm disappointed, I mean, because I want this beer to succeed. I mean, I, I look at the label and I'm going, this is a this is a beer which has been well-designed in the sense of its marketing, yeah. right? I mean, And it's also right up our respective alleys. I mean, yeah, I music, wanna, man. Uh, music, rock underground music. music, rock, you know, that's the kind uh, of thing that we can get it's behind. It's not the just, it is. It's, it's, it's like going to a rock, your friend tells you, I'm going to take you to a kick-ass rock concert. And you're going, yeah. 
And then you go there and it's like, but, yeah, it's not so much. I mean, what's the Canadian rock outfit everyone loves to hate? Nickelback. Yeah. It's like that. Your friend tells you they're going to give you a kick-ass rock concert. You, you're going expecting to see Tool or yeah. Clutch or one of those guys, and it's, 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 it's not. It's, it's Nickelback. Not. It's Nickelback. It's Nickelback. Yeah. So talking about how you would score this, and it's going to be very subjective, obviously. Mm. But I, I think the taste is there's no flaw in this beer. Yes. There's zero flaw yes. in this beer. It's perfectly made in the sense that there's no flaws, no all flavors. It's well made. It's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love the color and clarity. I mean, that's the, the carbonation's on point. Yeah, yeah, it feels good in the mouth. But it just—it sort of tastes like a, a macro brewer's interpretation of an amber ale mm. for me. It's—it's—it's it's, it's too bland. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a rustiness to the flavor, which you get if you if you do, you know, if you don't have a lot of crystal malt in it, for instance, and you, mm. you put a little bit of like they say they've got Belgian crystal malt so yeah sure um and the belgian malts tend to have a spicier flavor and maybe i'm getting a little bit of that here it could just be my imagination but it's it's definitely not it's not let's just say body ale and it it doesn't quite get to where it sets out to get aftertaste what's what's your aftertaste what's the after effects of this i'm actually not getting a lot there either Mm, it's very clean yeah not it doesn't stay in your mouth Mm -mm. okay final verdict the Would one, you take you're you're going to Mars? Man. Yeah, you can you can take a beer, one beer. Yeah, I, I actually are, and completely coincidentally, I was watching The Martian yesterday, and thoroughly enjoying that. So, if you're stuck on Mars for five hundred days and you only could take one beer with you, yeah. would you take Nine Inch Ale by Red Rock Breweries with you? I'm gonna say no. Yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna, I'm, no. I'm gonna echo that and say no. I'm say no. I'd like, I would take the bottle along so I could look at it because it's quite pretty. Cool. But um, yeah. I'm not sure. I would if you take met any you know attractive Martian lady, <laughs> you could maybe attract them with yes, the, the yes. attractiveness of the I could, I could use this as a signal of some kind. And I like the goat. They have a goat here. I, I like I like the motif. I'm not sure if they've put that and mm. the the nails themselves together super well. I, I, I also have a distinct kind of distrust for people who call their own beer master brood. Um, yeah, good point. I am. Um, I, I think that's probably a distinction that well, you have to We're going a little bit far with that one. Yeah, handcraft. It's like sure, saying you that you're alternative. Yes, exactly. It's like saying you're indie. Uh, no, mm. people will tell you if you're mm. indie. Mm. Good point. So I think good on the label. I think that I would not take it to Mars with me. Let's rate it. Let's give it a completely subjective really? rating. Yeah, really? for sure. So zero to ten, Ooh. Matt. Zero being, I will immediately use this beer. As a, <laughs> a a cleaning agent for my drain, yeah, right. And on the other hand, that I'd like and to ten is I would sell bathe with it. I would sell my wife to have more of this beer. Um, look, uh, again, it uh, it's there's no flaws. It mm. lacks a lot of complexity. It doesn't quite promise what I expected. I would give this a six. Mm. I, I'd give it a five out of ten, and and I would uh, I'd simply go one less because I think it is almost quintessentially middle of the road. It is, mm. it is very. There's very little difference for me between this beer and, let's say, a Black Label mm. or a, mm. a Heineken. I mean, yeah. Not in taste. Obviously, they obviously taste different, but in terms of its blandness. Yeah, in terms of it not really challenging you in any way. It gets a five because it doesn't have any flaws, and, sure. it, and I, I think it gets a five because it's got great branding. I was, I was going to say the extra point comes because I want to rub myself on the bottle a little bit. Sure, it, it's a nice, attractive bottle and everything, and but it gets a five ultimately because it's boring. Right. 
Okay. That's uh, Red Rock 9-inch Ale. What's next? You were you just mentioned SA on Tap. Do you want to get, yeah. get into that? So we went it to sounds, it sounds rad. I went to SA on Tap in Pretoria uh, about a week ago. Obviously, we're recording the show about a week after SA on Tap, but you may be listening to to the show a bit further down a the line. A thousand years in the future. Yes. Welcome, space people. <laughs> we come in peace. Not the really. Year is three thousand. Not really. Yeah. Woman rule. <laughs> We, we can we only can hope. Only we can only hope. <laughs> Men are doing such a bang-up job right now. Of the Everything's world. worked out really well for us. Oh, yes. So I went to Essan Tap. It was held at the Pretoria Botanical Gardens, which is a very nice venue. Lots of uh, Inyemse uh, plants. Inyem. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know we were going too tyler on this. I can throw the language. Okay, And we'll uh, a very pretty place to go to. Very fucking hot, though. Yeah. I, I don't really like going to Pretoria because it's so hot. Yeah. It's always two degrees warmer two than degrees. in Joburg, and those two degrees matter. Yeah, They really do. Yeah. I, got, I got really burnt by the sun, even though I put it on sunblock. I think you need sort of nuclear-proof sunblock to not get burned in Pretoria. I'm surprised you didn't go in your conventional raincoat. Um, and I was wearing a hazmat wings. suit, and I still got burnt. Okay? <laughs> I was the guy in the big yellow suit. Essantap, good one. Uh, what was interesting about Essantap and Pretoria was they... They really got a lot of different kinds of breweries involved, which I haven't often seen in festivals, although I have to admit that I'm not going to a lot of festivals these days, but that will change now that we've got the podcast. Now you're forced to go. I have to go. What oh. a terrible life. I know. I'm taking one for the How team. How are you going to handle this? So it was really interesting. Um, lots of different kinds of breweries, we, we uh, which I've not seen at festivals before, mm. Drifter from the Cape, quite a few Cape Town breweries, Riot was there, which we mm. mentioned last week. So there were quite a few, and there were a few new ones I've never seen before. There was a, a KZN outfit called Lion's Pride or something. Um, there was Frontier Breweries from uh, Pretoria, which I haven't really seen before. The one thing I, I did enjoy was the diversity of beer available. Mm-hmm. It's not everything, not everyone's just doing an IPA and a lager. Well, on that point. <laughs> I don't think there yeah. are enough IPAs, actually. Really? No. Look, there are a lot of faux PAs, which you've uh, coined the yes, phrase for. Yes, that's mine. That's copyright. Matt yeah. Wrestling, 2016. TM. TM. Faux PAs. No one can use that. Yeah. There's still a lot of of hop, I don't know what it's called, hop uh, timidity mm. amongst brewers. You know, mm. I, I tasted a lot of beer at Essantap, and it was very few of them, I thought, were hopped properly. Mm. And I'm not talking about just IPAs. I'm talking about other sure, styles sure, as well, just which should general, have yeah. a little bit more hops in it. And the IPAs I did taste there were many of them were really bland and, and very boring mm. um, and, and really did not come to town on, or come to the table mm. on, on the hop question. So, do, you, do you think that's because people are afraid to be a bit more challenging? I'm sure they are. I mean, I've no idea. I mean, hops are expensive, I guess, because a lot of it's imported. So people are reluctant to use a lot of hops yeah. in their brews. But if you're a craft brewer, you can't let that be the decision-making tool there. You know, that's a macro thing is to say, oh, but price is you know, sure. super important. You're supposed to be chasing flavors and sometimes making commercially dumb decisions in, in chasing that flavor. Um, and you, you're supposed to cut a little bit in your margin to, to get mm. that flavor out there. Mm. Um, you know, you're not supposed to be making the same margin as a macro-brewed beer. If you are, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, then, you, then you're not in the right industry to you're stop You're absolutely it. doing it wrong. So... And I was really, that was one of the things I didn't like about Isantab is I didn't see enough really hoppy beers out there to to satisfy my hop craving, which I tend to have mm. in a festival. 
Um, there were a few exceptions, but mostly still very bland. That was the general overview. Uh, hop-wise. But there were some other really amazing beers. Um, my favorite beer of Esau Tap was probably a limited edition brought out by Frontier Breweries, the Pretoria outfit. They had a sour beer. Was this the challenging sour? No, it wasn't. You- no, it was a lovely beer. I, I ended up kind of maybe drinking half of their stock. <laughs> <laughs> it was so wonderful. And... They had a sour beer, which they aged in Chardonnay barrels. Give us a quick overview of the style, a sour beer. So sour beers have multiple sub-styles, but basically the idea of a sour beer is you're going to eventually put lactobacillus uh, bacteria into it on some level, and maybe Brettanus, Brit, I can still not pronounce that damn Come on, just thing. Brett. I'm just going to call it Brett from now That's on. That's fine. Thank you. So it's, it's, it's sometimes, mostly it has to have lactobacillus, and it sometimes may have Brett as well. Mm-hmm. And and those bacterium would sour out the beer. Mm. And, I mean, there's, again, it's a whole, it's almost like a different mini science of brewery on its own because it depends on when you add the lactobacillus. You can add it in the fermenter. You can add it in the boil. You can add it in the mash. Now, that obviously imparts taste differently. Exactly. And and the degree of, of lactobacillus you put in. And, and sometimes people add it, and sometimes they let it occur naturally. The source of the lactobacillus also makes a difference. And and so, because you can use yogurt cultures. You can I was just going to say, can you just chuck some yogurt in there? Yeah, I'm not, I have to say I'm not too familiar with the processes involved. But, you you know, it, it's the source of lactobacillus will make a difference. Mm. And and sometimes also you, you get bread and those sort of bacterium from containers which you age the beer. In fact, that's the traditional way of making um, lambic beers is mm. they, they let it wild ferment with normal wild mm. yeast. And they age it in barrels, which contain the bacteria inside the wood. Mm. And that over time, because they often age these beers quite long, will impart the sourness to the beer. Sure. And this is, this is what Frontier's done. They, they did a lovely sour, which was aged in, I think they said they aged it for about two, three months in um, Chardonnay. Uh, Chardonnay barrels. So the Chardonnay flavors came out. It was that, it was that really nice, crisp, um, toasty Chardonnay flavors in that beer. It was, it was sour, but it's sour in a way which is very refreshing. It it really cleans your palate more than you know, sort of sours it out like a lemon twist. It does, you know. It, it's not it's not vinegar. It's just a beautiful sure. expression, and the malts were really well balanced. It was sour beers generally are not very hop forward. You just add the hops to to just remove the the real sweetness of the the barley. But they they really nailed that. I have to I have to give kudos to the frontier. Favorite, huh? Beautiful beautiful expression of a sour beer. I haven't seen such a well made sour beer in South Africa ever. It was a wonderful beer. Nice one. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the other side of the spectrum. Mm. What was the worst beer you had there? Come on. Let's name and shame. I don't know if I can, man. It would be so bad, man. It would. It would be terrible. Look, I, I would say the one th- – I'm not going to – you know, one thing I did notice actually about Esau Tap, which was different for me uh, uh, compared to other festivals, was the number of really good beers out there in, in terms of not flawed. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about the distinction between yeah. a good and a flawed beer. So the, the general quality, you think, Quality is... was really good. I, I have to say, and I think it's partly the the, con, the um, festival organizers who have become much more strict about that. But I think it's also the brewers who are becoming way more competent in what they're mm. doing. I did not taste an off beer at that festival. Mm-hmm. And that is rare. Because mm. I have often tasted really off beers in festivals. It's a really fantastic, heartening uh, fact that I think brewers are improving. Mm. And the, the 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 percentage of off beers to to on beers, we sure. call them that, sure. um, is really not bad. Okay. 
So, so I, I didn't taste an off beer, so that was great. I had some disappointing beers. I mean, I think I, I, I kind of like the Mad Giant brand. Um, they in Joburg. They've recently started their, a new brewery uh, in One Fox Street in, in the city. And I've had some of the earlier beers when they were still back uh, quite a while ago when they were still in Secunda. And they, they had a little brewery there, and they've now moved to Joburg. And they've definitely changed their recipes. It's Joburg Waterman. I don't know what's happened. So you're disappointed with them in the same way that my father's disappointed in me? Yes, I think so, man. All right. Did you also used to live in Secunda? <laughs> no, but I know water. Yeah, I mean, I, I had their, um, I think it's an APA, American Pale Ale, which, which I remember being one of the more hoppier, citrusy sort of beers out there when they started it. And they've, it was much more muted, much more sort of one-dimensional for me. Didn't have the, the layered sort of hops. I mm. think they've pretty much used only South African hops now. Um, and they've, they sort of chucked the American hops out the window. So that was a bit disappointing for mm. me. I, I expected more. Their branding, however, and their stand was one of the more impressive ones. Mm. And that's another thing. I mean, mm. brewers have really got a lot yeah, of work up, to do. The game, yeah. Stands are a little bit samey. I didn't really see a lot of stands which popped out. Drifter's uh, stand was probably the best for me of the festival. Mm. They really sort of nailed that real Cape Town beach vibe. Mm. Um, but other stands were very samey. You know, it's pretty much the, the pallet wood, the, <laughs> yes. you know, the marquee tent, yes. and that's about it, and the chalkboard. Uh, so it's, it's like a bit of a kit. And I think that brewers can do well to maybe up their game in terms of their festival branding and, and what they do in a festival. The worst part for that for that whole of the whole festival for me wasn't actually the beer. Um, it was the available options for rinsing your glass. Um, assuming you're saying there weren't any. Hmm. So usually um, brewers tend to have different methods of helping you rinse your glass. There are good ways of doing that, and there are horrible ways of doing that. And it makes a massive difference for mm. a festival goer what you experience at that festival for rinsing your glass. So give us the do's and don'ts there. Do's are, if you're going to help people rinse their glass, and it's a good idea to rinse the glass, you don't want to have five different beers competing with the one you're just pouring into your, your glass. If you give a damn about it. Sure, but you should. And it does make a difference. I mean, for certain, I mean, I was... Because I was sort of hitting that sour beer quite heavily, <laughs> I had to be very careful to rinse that glass before yeah. I had another beer. Otherwise, it's going to taste sour. So, mm. um, do's are you must make clear, clean water available. Mm. And it has to be clean water every single time. So, mm. in other words, do not please. And Have this is the most disgusting thing. And there were store brewers who did this. They had a bucket of crap they water. Dip the same they dip the glass in there, in there and then they whip it out and and now i'm getting backwash and god knows what else mm. i cannot actually be more specific about this because i'm actually going to do it from now on at a festival <laughs> if you have a bucket i'm not drinking your beer anymore uh-huh. i'm going to first look at what rinse options yeah, that's, are available. that's pretty gross that is it's disgusting gross, it yeah. is absolutely gross and i would never do that to someone yeah. god knows what's in that thing at the end of the day I mean, so maybe it, it should become a responsibility for the event organizer but if you're a brewer Surely you want your, your customers to experience the optimum pleasure from your beer and also just enjoy the festival. It just provide, seems like a bit of an afterthought, eh? Yeah, I provide a good rinse station, man. I mean, some people really came, came to the party. Um, Brauhaus on Dam, uh, the guys from Rustenburg, they had a, a spillboy system, and it's a, it's a special system for rinsing your glass, which 
um, has a little brush and it's got a special detergent in it which doesn't stick to your glass and then it's a rinse station. So they did it properly. That's right, yeah. They like wash your glass. Yeah. Um, Mad Giant also had the same thing. So, so more and more people are investing in spillboy systems. They are expensive. I mean, that's probably why people don't have it. Um, the guys from Cockpit Brewing uh, from Cullinan, they had a, a spritzer, so it's that spring-loaded thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those because they're yeah. pretty cool. They're just nice to look at. But, I mean, at the basic, I mean, you literally just need water with a little tap yeah. that you can pour into a glass and rinse it exactly. out. Exactly. You, just, you can literally go and buy from one of these cheap plastic stores a reservoir with a tap, yeah. put an order in it, rinse it out, chuck the water. And you're good. And it, it'll cost you all of 50 bucks mm. to buy that thing. So that's my commitment for future festivals. I'm going to first check what your rinse option is. If you have a bucket, I'm not buying your beer. Well, that anymore. should be the campaign, man. If, you, if you're rinsing our glass with a bucket, fuck mm. you. Fuck slop. <laughs> that's bullshit. It is. It's complete bullshit. So okay. if, you, if, you no, want a, if you're going to have a slop bucket, I'm not buying a beer yeah, anymore. Yeah, good I'm, for you. I've said it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, we, and I think we, we will definitely now start naming and shaming that because it also just shows a distinct mm. lack of respect. All right, but all in all, besides the besides yeah. the the pig, there's my rant for the day. Yeah, it's finished um, now. But in general, you were impressed. It was impressive, you know. I, th- I think the quality of beer was the thing which impressed me most. What's uh, what's what's next, Marcel? Next is we are, I hope, going to have an interview. Ah, yes, this mystical interview that, that <laughs> may or may <laughs> mysterious interview. Um, so we're supposed to be interviewing a the head brewer and owner of Drifter Brewing Company. Well, in, in lieu of that happening right now, perhaps you want to take us through the beer we're drinking. Yes. We're, really we're currently, we've just opened up the Drifter Brewing Company's, the Cape Town Blonde. That's their blonde beer. Um, the subscript on the label says, she's too good for you. <laughs> and I've met some Cape Town Blondes. They might be true. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. They're very intimidating people. Yeah. I like that. I like that art style. Mm. Lovely label. Um, I, I kind of dig the Drifter labels. I mean, they very illustrative, very simple, but yet, you know, it clearly stands out mm. uh, from the crowd. Mm. So Drifter is a Western Cape uh, brewing company. They, they kind of, I mean, obviously our Cape Town listeners might have a different experience of this, but I certainly experienced them as almost like just popping out of nowhere one day at the local uh, liquor store. It's like, hi, I'm a beer. Yeah, and, and it was really interesting. And like I do, when I see a new beer, I immediately buy it. And I was impressed with the quality. And the Blonde Ale as a category is kind of interesting because it came from home brewing. Uh, very few commercial breweries had Blonde Ales to begin with. And when craft beer started happening, especially in America, a lot of the craft brewers, very much like in South Africa, came from a home brewing background. And home brewers had really almost invented the Blonde Ale style um, because it is a, an ale, firstly, which is brewed with mostly pale malts. It's usually got a pretty light hop character. And it can often also be brewed with a popular way to do blonde ales is to do a one malt, one hop kind of blonde ale. So you use one mm. one kind of grain, a pale malt, and then one kind of hop. So a relatively simple brew. It's a very simple brew. And then homebrewers really dig that sort of thing because it's a nice entry-level mm. beer to make. But not only that, but it's an ale you can you can really compare to a lager or something which is generally associated with a, you know hot summer's day. Mm. It's very refreshing, light accessible yeah but still got a lot of flavor sure but i think this is a lovely beer i'm um, the cape town blonde well you've you've done the whole thing so yeah, I, I can't even i can't even ask you to take yeah. me through it but so what do you think man what's your tasting notes on this one i think it's quite easy it's not a it, it, it's not super complex uh, mm. it's it's very smooth i think it's nicely balanced 
uh, it has been sitting for a little while, so I can't really talk about much of the head. But it is, it's a very, very clear finish. is quite bitter. Mm. Um, I, I, I like it. I think it's very, very nice, mm. actually. It's just a well-balanced beer. Yeah. Uh, not, not, and that's kind of the blonde thing. Is Nothing predominates in a blonde. Mm. It's not malt forward. It's not hop forward. It's very well-balanced. Yeah, there's nothing that I'm having to come to terms with there. Mm. It's kind of like that's a, that's a solid beer. That's a very easy drinking beer. Yeah. I'd be very, very happy to have a couple of bottles of that. No, for sure. I think it's a lovely beer. And, and it's not easy to make a good blonde because like in most pale beers, any flaw in that beer will be emphasized. Yeah. There's nothing to hide behind. Yeah. You don't have enough hops to hide anything. You don't have enough malt. Yeah. So to make a light ale or a lager is a bit more challenging. So it shows a bit of yeah. proficiency on the brewer's side. Yeah, sometimes the simplest things are the most difficult to make, I suppose. For sure. But I, what I like about the blonde is also, for me, it's a great alternative to a lager. So if you're yeah. tired of lager as a style, which most Africans should be by now, <laughs> blonde, Log it out. blonde ale is, is not a bad idea. Also, yeah. congratulations to Drifter on in in their actual logo, not using things like you know. Indeed, no hops, hops and no and barley malt. And yeah, mm. <laughs> they've gone pretty pretty straightforward. Um, they've got some ropes, maritime and knots, knots, dangerous. Very nice. I'll definitely try out another Drifter. Cool. We are about to go into an interview. One of our our first, not one of our first. Well, one of our first. It's literally our, our first. literally our first interview. And I'm happy to say that I uh, secured an interview with Nicholas Bush. He is the owner and head brewer of Drifter Brewing Company down in the Cape. The Drifter that we've just been talking about. Yep. And I think Drifter is one of the most innovative breweries out there at the moment. They really are pushing the envelope of style and of things you can get in South African craft beer. And that makes it one of the more exciting ones for me to, to get involved in. And we're going to ask him some deep Difficult questions. We'll <laughs> psychological profile. Oh, we are going to psychologically profile him. Let's work out whether he th- what he thinks of himself. Exactly. What if, his worth is of a. If he is not being. crying at the end of this interview, we haven't done our job. Yeah, then we're giving up. Exactly. So we're, we're and I mean, he also told me when I set up this interview that he's might not be that available because he's busy jumping out of aeroplanes near Robinson. It's so irresponsible. I know. So these captains, they, they don't know anything. You can't trust them. You can't trust them to just maybe spend a Sunday. Note that insurance down. companies, please load their insurance <laughs> if you're in the Cape. Yes, we have his ID number. Yes, and give us a discount here in Joe because we live safe, comfortable lives. That's a lie. Get him on the phone. Let's go for it. Cool. So we're joined in the studio via telephony. Yes. By Nicholas Bush. He is the head brewer and owner of Drifter Brewing Company down in the Cape. How are you doing today, Nicholas? Morning, guys. Very well on yourself. Great. Thank Great to have you. We, we have it on good authority that you were throwing yourself out of a plane this morning. Yeah, you, you told us that, <laughs> and we, we've got to ask you about that. Yes, I'm in the process of doing my uh, skydiving license, so wow. got to go jump on the weekend. So, so when does it stop becoming terrifying and start becoming fun? <laughs> it seems to get more terrifying every time I jump, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're doing it right. Get... You're doing it absolutely right. That's exactly what that is. That's healthy fear at work. Exactly. <laughs> So what what made you want to do that? What's the what's the impetus? Jeez, well I do we do quite a lot of um, adventure sports down here in the Cape, specifically mm. myself and a bunch of my mates. Right. Um, and yeah, I've always wanted to um, jump out of a plane. So <laughs> now I'm doing the doing the license, and then with wow. long term vision of um, of climbing El Cap, um, in Yosemite Valley in California, which is one of the largest mm. rock faces in the world, and then I can wings to jump off the top. Wow. That's the long term goal. There's a lot of activity going on here. This doesn't sound mm. like there's a lot of time left to actually drink beer. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's also it's you really... need to drink a balance to get to the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's typical of you Cape Town guys, you know, you have to create fear. We just step out the door here in Joburg and then we're really afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going, walking down the road is extreme. It's an extreme sport. Yeah. Yeah. We've really been enjoying your beer already. We started early, sorry. Mm. Um, and we started with the, the, the Cape Town Blonde. Um, maybe give us a bit of a background on Drifter and where it comes from and what, how did it all start? Yeah, with pleasure. Okay, so um, I come from an engineering background. I used to, used to do engineering, studied at UC for a little while, and then um, ended up living in the States where my girlfriend Anna is from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were living in Portland, Oregon, which is... Oh, yeah, that's a horrible place for a beer fan. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rough. It's, it's a bit, they don't have that many breweries. It's only about 110 just in the city. Right, yeah. So, so it's tough to find a good beer. <laughs> mm. So I was quite fortunate enough to get thrown straight into the commercial beer scene. So my story is probably a bit of a more unique one in that I went straight from um, zero to... To, um, commercial brewer. I didn't okay. have that home brewing step in between. Right. But um, yeah, I was very lucky to learn from some of the top brewers in the world mm. in, in Portland. And then after a while, we decided to move back to Cape Town and start this um, project. Yeah, I moved back to Cape Town, put a business plan together, had an idea for what we wanted to do, mm-hmm. and sort of idea of the styles of beers we wanted to create. And then, um, and then yeah, the, biggest, the first biggest challenge was obviously coming up with a name. Yeah, and because you kind of stuck so, with it from that point onwards. Yeah, exactly. So we, we came up with a whole lot of names, um, and the main one that really stuck out was Drifter. Because so, so Drifter has a nice story behind it. Mm-hmm. It was the name of a, a yacht that my, my old man built about yeah. forty years ago in his mm-hmm. back garden. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he spent about five years building the yacht, an old steel vessel, and then he plumped it in the water and it floated. And uh, then him and my mother sailed around the world in it for about 10 years and they went all over. So this, this adrenaline the addiction Caribbean. seems to be a genetic trade then, yeah. uh, Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're genetically predisposed to doing ridiculous things. Yes. <laughs> yes, very adventurous. So that's the sort of the whole vibe behind Drifter. So yeah. um, we sort of stand on three pillar stones, adventure, creativity, and craftsmanship. So we try and mm. engulf all of those in our beers and everything we do and day-to-day life. So we do a lot of crazy beers as well. Just the, the four you um, you have seen are four commercial beers, and then we have some seasonals, mm. and we have another very exciting project we're visiting at the moment that I'll tell you about Great. maybe a little later. It's a it's a Belgian triple that we we basically Ooh. age it on the seabed for twelve months under water. Okay. On the seabed. Yeah. There's no half measures here, are there? We could we could talk about it now if you want. But <laughs> Please do. It's a, it's yeah. A, it's a yeah. So it's a, a um. We do a lot of scuba diving, and we've got a, we've got a dive boat. We used to run a dive company um, right. a while back. So we um, we decided to sort of try and merge beer making and diving at the same time. An so obvious merge. <laughs> yes, they work very well together. Yeah. Exactly. So about 15 months ago, we brewed a Belgian triple, right. and put, I did about eight, just a small batch, about 80 bottles, and we put them down inside a inside a shipwreck just off Cape Point. Okay. And we left it there, and it, it just got better and better. Wow. So now we've done we've done a big batch. We've mm-hmm. done I think one and a half thousand liters, and we put it in these seven fifty more champagne bottles, and right. then wax seal the lids, mm. and then those all are now sitting on the on the Atlantic Seaway, right off Cape Point, with the with the two oceans that is and the very, two currents very meet, cool. the two oceans. Incredible. And that'll sit there and age for twelve months. So it's at like the, the aging process for triple. It's a very 
it's got a strong beer at 9%. Yes. So it needs, needs a little bit of time in the bottle for secondary ferment. So it sits there for, mm. for 12 months at that nice temperature as well. Nice. And so do you reintroduce yeast into that secondary ferment before you, you bottle it? Um, yes, exactly. Okay. I love triples. I want it to be a long-term process. So it's like a very wow. slow process. Aren't you just a little bit nervous that some intrepid scuba divers are going to go and steal your beer? Yes, we were very nervous about that. <laughs> uh, it keeps me up at night. Because isn't there some law of the seas that that's yeah. like, you know, yeah. belongs to anyone who finds it? Yeah, exactly. Salvage law. So, salvage rights, yeah. If anyone finds it, it's theirs. Wow. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not telling anyone where it is. No. Okay. Yeah, just give us that latitude and longitude again. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good call because uh, well, that must—that's what actually the edgiest part of this whole thing is that you're, you're, you're kind of banking that no one's going to take it. Exactly. Well, we found this pretty secluded spot that I think. Uh, yeah. And the ocean is a big spot. For sure. It's a big. It's a, the ocean is quite a big pond. So. It's probably guarded by great white sharks and box jellyfish as well. <laughs> Brilliant, exactly. <laughs> we, we definitely picked up the, the, the maritime influences mm. uh, in your branding as well. You know, yes. the, the kind of uh, nautical knots and things like that in your logo. Mm. And uh, <laughs> Nicholas, tell, tell us a little bit about, I mean, one of the most distinctive things about Drifter for me, when I first saw it was the branding and the, the illustrative labels. And Matt and I are both terribly opinionated brand people yeah so sure. yeah, we know everything we know everything everything and and we really love the branding so tell us a little bit about the decision you had in, in going that route yeah fantastic okay well um what we've tried to do is obviously the crop industry's going quite quickly in south africa and we're trying to sort of stand out from the crowd so your first thing you'll notice is with only crop beer and that that style of bottle and mm. um, which is quite cool it's a 330 more Right, and the first the first beer we launched commercially was the Cape Town Blonde, and mm. I chose that bottle because it had pretty cool curved character like mm. Cape Town Blonde. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it actually gave us well, me specifically, I, I, it had quite a bit of a retro feel. It almost felt like one of those um, you know nineteen eighties dumpies. Yeah, for sure, exactly, like a mini dumpy. Yeah, and mm. then um, yeah, as you'll see, each each beer has a character and a story behind it. Mm-hmm. And so the first one, the Cape Town Blonde, we. We're playing with recipes and I designed the blonde beer and we're in Cape Town and then we sort of had this play on the words like, oh, he's Cape Town blonde chicks. Mm. Um, they're a bit bitchy and too good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't, we, why don't we make a beer and call it that? You, you know what? Um, that, that, then, sorry, Nick, just to, just to cut in there. That is so, it's actually quite strange because that's a reference that we didn't really pick up here. Um, we, you know, that, that's a stereotype you guys have down there and it's hilarious now that you're saying it. And up here, we were just kind of like, why, why is this chick so mean? <laughs> Which is what we feel when we go down the game. <laughs> yeah, why, why is everyone so, so horrible to us? She's too good for you, definitely. She's too good for us, man. Yeah, Damn it. She's so cool. <laughs> okay, very and cool. Then, um, and then we have a little uh, catchy... Uh, so each, each brand obviously has its name, Cape Town Blonde. Mm. And then each um, will also have a little catchphrase and then a story on the side of the bottle. Sure. Um, yeah. So and then then we the next beer we launched. Um, so like I said, we used to run a dive company and mm. we actually had that up in Mozambique. So a couple of my investors own a, a big piece of land up in Mozambique. So we brought down um, a lucky load full of coconuts and decided to make a coconut beer. Mm. And that's now pretty much become our biggest seller. Mm. I think we're the only ones in the world that do a light um, session. I was going to ask you about that because I've I've had um, coconut porters from Hawaii. So Kona breweries. 
uh, yeah, make a, sure. a nice roasted coconut porter. And that's usually the normal combination of having a dark beer with a coconut flavor. Yeah, so we wanted to try and, in my opinion, coconuts sort of give the feeling and the theme of summer and mm. fresh and um, like thirst quenching. So we wanted to make a light session beer right. and have that subtle hint of coconut. So mm. it, was, it was quite a difficult beer to design. We went through a lot of iterations because working with coconuts is very tricky because there's a lot of oil. Oil, so, so you, you no foam. Exactly. You don't want that, for, that uh, oil. It's going to mess up with your head retention. Mm. So how did you, are you able to tell us how you solved that? Magic. <laughs> Magic uh, yeah, and so science. We basically, we basically roast and toast the coconut um, at a certain temperature for a certain period of time. Mm. And then we, um, through a process to extract all the oil, and we add it, we're actually adding the coconut um, in, the, in the whirlpool, right into the pool. So a lot of guys add it to the secondary, we actually just add it in the whirlpool. Oh, wow. Okay. That is interesting. I mean, I, I would not have thought that would be the, the way to do it. So it obviously solved the problem. Yeah, and another thing is it also um, it also will destroy any wild wild yeast that's possible on the, on the cocoa. We use the white, so we crack open the cocoa and we shave off all that white flesh and then mm. we toast that. So it's quite a it's quite a difficult beer to brew. <laughs> wow, where is your brewery, by the way? I mean, is it open to the public? Can we go visit it, or uh, where where are you guys? Yeah, you're welcome to come pop in and have a visit. We're in Woodstock. We're, mm-hmm. right, we're right on the main road in Woodstock. And we do have a, a tasting bar that's open on Friday evenings. Nice. Um, and we've just done an expansion at the moment, so we've just taken the building next door, so we've doubled up in size. Right. And now we're also going to be doing um, a couple of other cool projects next door as well. We're about to launch a, um, a Buchu-infused gin and tonic on tap, mm-hmm. as well as a um, mesquila, which is mm. South African-made tequila. Mm. So there's a couple of other small projects on the go. Fantastic. Um, experiments just to keep us, keep us busy. But... Um, <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we do have a tap room and people yeah. can come visit. And we do have a lot of people come and have their birthdays in it. We've got the whole thing you and Okay, so I mean, I, I hope uh, our listeners will take you up on that. I'm certainly yeah. going to take you up on that when I'm in Cape yeah. Town uh, again. If, if I'm ever brave enough to go down to Cape Town again, yeah. I'll. Matt's, Matt's a bit afraid of Cape Town. We're not really sure. No, come visit Cape Town. I'm, I'm terrified of everything past like Beaufort West. That's <laughs> th- that's like my limit. I think Matt had a, a traumatic childhood experience involving the mountain or something. I'm not sure. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's, it's too dark. So, so we're actually going to um, try one of your other beers now, I think, and we'll, we'll try the, the coconut one as well. We've, we've also got the Scallywag IPA. Do you want to walk us through that one? Sure. Scallywag is definitely my favorite beer. Mm. Obviously, coming from the uh, brewing industry in the States on the West Coast, every brewery has four or five IPAs under their name. Unfortunately, IPAs aren't one of the bigger categories in South Africa just yet. Mm. No, it's so, one of the saddest things about South African beer. Yeah, I was just exactly, talking about yeah, how like IPAs are IPAs. underrepresented. Yeah. Mm. So, what? Um, so the Scandiwag is a um, is a yeah, American West Coast style IPA. What we do is, which is quite unique, uh, we use a new technique that people started doing in the states now as well. It's called um, hot bursting. Mm. So instead of having a traditional boil where we're adding a 60-minute, a 30-minute, or a 5-minute well, hop additions, yes. what we actually do is we stack it all up on the back end and in the beginning. So we, we do a hell of a lot of first wart hopping wow, so and that's then quite... a whole bunch of whirlpool hopping. Right. So you'll see it for 60 IBUs, it's actually quite a, a subtle bitterness and it gives you that mm. more silky mouthfeel, yeah. in my opinion. 
And I mean that's 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 cool information also for the homebrewers tuning into the show because I mean first uh, wort hopping is still pretty experimental. I mean it's it's a pretty nifty technique. Yeah, we've done we did quite a lot of experiments with mash hopping as well, but we haven't really managed to figure out if we actually get anything out of it or if it's just a waste of money. But right. first wort, we do definitely get a lot out of that, mm. and um, and then. Yeah, I mean it's been working well for us. Another thing we do with the with the Scallywag IPA is we do a lot of blending of hops. So there's about mm. six different hops in there. Nice. And when you bring beyond a commercial scale, it's important to have a blend of hops in case the one season you you short supply on a certain hop, right. you can substitute it with another hop, and it won't be detrimental to your beer. It won't really change mm. it too much. That's a very good point. I mean, if you put everything behind one hop and and there's a hop crisis, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, the hops in that beer, we got some Centennial, some Mosaic, some Amarillo, mm-hmm. um, some Mosaic, Amarillo, and some Simcoe as well. And then we got a, also a host of South African hops that we blend okay. as well. So it's a, just a play of what, what you want out of the beer. And we were, very, we were very excited with this beer because we just actually won the, the Nationals with this beer. We got the gold medal for the Well done. Congratulations. Congratulations. Nice. Nice one. Thanks, man. Yeah, we were very stoked. Well, I mean, just tasting it now, I can see why. I mean, this is really, it's a real IPA. So Matt and I have, have <laughs> we, coined the phrase. No, don't, the, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Well, Matt, no, no, you, you and I have not coined the okay, phrase. Sorry, Matt. I coined the phrase totally it. on my own. <laughs> so Matt, Matt totally invented on his own the phrase faux PA to, for, for a lot of the IPAs in South Africa, which really aren't IPAs at all. Yeah. Um, they've, got, they've got the name, but they don't have the taste. Exactly. I won't mention names, but I picked up an IPA the other day from a now one of the biggest craft breweries in South Africa. Yeah, I believe I know that. Shocking. One. <laughs> it was shocking. It wasn't an IPA, it was barely a pale ale. Well, that's even worse then, because not only does it break your expectation, but it doesn't even meet any kind of expectation. Yeah, the, the lowest expectation mm. isn't even there. But this is a lovely mm, beer, yeah. and mm. I mean, well done on it. I mean, it's, Oh, this is delicious. Please keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you, I appreciate it. Mm. Thanks for the feedback. No, it's, it's really uh, chewy, which I kind of like about the West Coast. So IPAs. obviously, an actual IPA. Mm. Like this is, yeah, yeah. This I mean, I mean, it's kind of cloudy. About. So is that the dry hopping, uh, Nicholas? Yeah. So we also do some less conventional dry hopping techniques in that we actually dry hop over multiple days. So we'll do four four editions over four separate days, and this just allows you on a on specifically on a commercial scale when you dry hop. Mm. You're obviously adding it to the top of your fermenter, to your unis or whatever you're fermenting in. Mm. And um, all of those hops will obviously fall through, through solution and then just um, collect in the cone. So it's uh, what we've found is it gives us really good results is to dry hop over multiple days. Wow. Um, instead of just packing it all in one, mm. one dry hop. Another nifty technique, I was just in the States um, two months ago again, doing some work over there with some other breweries. Um, and uh, I learned another nifty trick. Mm-hmm. I'm giving all my secrets away here. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Yes. Sorry, I'm, the craft here I can't write quickly enough. <laughs> <laughs> but another trick is to, um, once you're done with the dry hopping, leave it a couple of days, um, and then we actually purge CO2 through the bottom of the cone and push all that, mm. that hop residue up into suspension again and give it a couple more days in suspension. Yeah. That really just helps bring out the nose. Sometime, and, and uh, maybe... Maybe we should do a special when you eventually hoist up those triples from the ocean bed. That would be very cool. That's a very good idea. I'd, we've I'd also just done a we've also just done a collab for Color and Drifter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the Upside Down Beer. 
Okay. And you'll be able to find it in all of the um, League of Beers mixed case in December, the Christmas mixed case. Right. So what we've done is we've, um, we've got baobab fruit from the farm in the popo, mm-hmm. and I made a ginger and baobab infused rice beer. So we call it the upside down beer. Nice. Because of the baobab. Like, like the baobab trees, upside down tree. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I mean, we, we need to look out for that. I mean, I, I just, I'm very excited about the triple because I am, that's one of my top three styles mm. of all time. So Yeah, that's your jam. I'm, I'm going to have to kill people to get one of those bottles, I'm sure, but I, I'll do what I, I'll do what I have to. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> do a live tasting on the show. That would be oh, great. Oh, man, that would be so good. That would be so good. might get messy, though, because they're pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. Messi's me, me, cool. Messi's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll show that generally improves as we go along, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you're hitting us towards the end of this one. So. Yes. Nicholas, what's, what's next for Drifter? I mean, what are you... You've mentioned uh, seasonals, and I, I mean, that's one thing I, I kind of wanted to ask you, because the... The one thing which which sometimes is a little bit disappointing for me is that not not a lot of craft breweries in South Africa do seasonals, and yet that yeah, is a, a sort of a common feature for stateside breweries, for instance. Yeah, so I think um, more and more breweries are starting to mm. do seasonals. For instance, Woodstock Brewery just released their um, Acid Queen, which is a, a Granadilla Sour, and that's one of their seasonals, and it's a fantastic beer. That's so I think great. on the on the on the horizon for Drifter, we've um, We've just done an expansion of our fermentation capacity. So we're just basically just trying to get our beers um, out there and more accessible to people. So we're doing quite mm. a big push to get more tap stalls up in Khartoum specifically. Yes. Um, you know, any restaurant owners send them our way. We'll do our best. And then, yeah, we're just con- consistently making our four um, commercial beers. And then we're also looking at doing um, some other exciting stuff, such as sours. Mm. Just done a Berliner Weiss, nice. um, which is which is quite an exciting beer, and then yeah, just continuing to experiment and most importantly have fun. Uh, I think that's that's the key. Yeah. when you stop having fun, it's time to do something else, I guess. Yeah, you got to make sure it's enjoyable, yeah. and also just just helping to build a sustainable company. It's difficult on a commercial level; you need to get up to a certain volume threshold to make it viable. Yeah. So we're we're just pushing to get to that point where we can that we can sell. Yeah. So we have one very unfair question to ask you, which we'll be asking for every single person we interview, and that is, what is the best beer you've ever had? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I spent quite a bit of time, obviously, in the States and the West Coast, and I was recently at Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Mm. And um, They're one of the big guns. Yeah, they're one of the, one of the big guys, and they've been brewing for a long time, but they really do have one of the most advanced brew setups and they do make some of the best beers in the world in my opinion. Mm. So you ask me what the best beer I've ever had in my life yes. is. <laughs> come on. Deep, deeply unfair come on. we know. Come on, man. <laughs> it's probably probably going to be the Officer Vez, which is the, the Gauss, or Ghost, yes. as they say, uh, which is one of Sierra Nevada's. But it's, it's one of their more rare ones. Otherwise... I actually keep thinking about it. A barrel-aged narwhal is also one of the best beers I've ever had. Wow. The narwhal is a um, Russian imperial stout. That's I think it's Russian imperial stout. Yeah, that's mm. of what it does. Um, but I mean, it's very tricky to ask that question because sure. it's like sure. We we acknowledge the unfairness yeah, of that question. We also understand that your answer is basically true for the the current five minutes we're in now. For sure, it will sure. change directly afterwards. Right, and is there anything, yeah, exactly. we, anything we should look out for? Anything you guys are doing at uh, Drifter, which uh, some of our listeners might want to go and, and check out? 
Yeah, for sure. We have um, we have quite a few events and stuff in our space. If you're down in the Cape, definitely pop in and visit us. Mm-hmm. We're going to be having a silent disco soon, which is quite cool because we get like a proper party in between all the fermenters. Well, is, that, is that in, inside the brewery? Yeah, it'll be inside the brewery. That's very cool. It's going to be pretty cool. Pretty and cool. then, um, yeah, we'll be launching a couple of more exciting beers um, on the horizon, like the Upside Down that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we've also got um, our Buchu Infused Gin and Tonic on tap coming out commercially. You can nice. find that in a couple of more nightclub type spots, mm. um, and it's really quite a delicious. Is that your own gin which you've distilled, or is it it's someone else's? Yeah, we're actually contract distilling it, mm-hmm. and um, I'm actually off to um, off to China on Tuesday to have a look at some, some stills over there. So we do uh, do have a couple of other sneaky little mm, projects on nice. the side that we, we're looking Ooh. to launch. Yeah. Fingers in um, many pies. <laughs> Good one. Okay, cool. And and where if people want to follow you guys and know what's going on, is the website the main port of call? I think the main port of call will be our Facebook page. Just okay. pop onto Facebook and just like Drifter Brewing Company, mm-hmm. and then you'll get all of the all of the details from there of what we're aware about, where we're going, and, and what's happening with the company. And yeah, pretty much the best. We also have um, Twitter and um, Instagram, so you can follow us on all of those social media platforms. Nicholas, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I love what you guys are doing. This is brilliant. And yeah, um, yeah I look forward to being on the show again. Absolutely. Perhaps we can chat more about um, different beer styles and that sort of thing. Yeah, you for must. sure. Th- thanks, Nick. Uh, from, from our side, from an absolute noob uh, kind of beer drinker, I've had two of your beers today and they're both exceptional. So, mm. so good job. Appreciate it. Thanks for the feedback, guys. Yeah, awesome. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Ciao. Have a good day. Ciao. Yeah. So we've been promising to talk about home brewing for two episodes now. And we we're, we're reaching the end of this one and still haven't said anything about it. Well, I have to say, I think that, that if you are a home brewer, the, the, some of the tips which uh, Nicholas were, you know, was talking about really would help you. I mean, he, he gave us some pretty cool techniques you can try as a home brewer as well. Um, but apropos to that, we, we were talking about the fact that you have an article in Essay on Tap magazine. Yes, so that's a new magazine brought out by um, Lucy Cornet from the Cape as well and it's the first ever South African magazine dedicated to craft beer. And I happened to have a column in there for homebrewers. So my first article was on a, the equipment you need Correct. Uh, to start with. Correct. But that kind of begged the question that uh, people, you know, they, they can kind of research a lot of the stuff and they sure. can read the articles and that's and great. And we'll leave, by the way, the, in the show notes, we'll leave the link. Yeah, there, we'll so leave a link so you can get mm-hmm. hold of it. But, um, but, yeah, what remains is to say, is, is to ask, what about the ingredients? You know, sure. we, could have every, we could have every whirlpool and fermenter and, <laughs> and everything known to yes. man. Knobs and whistles. Knobs, whistles, and, and buttons and dials. Yeah. Without knowing what to put in our beer. Sure. So maybe, maybe you could just give us a brief kind of understanding mm. of what goes into a beer. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of the fun parts for me about creating your own beer is you first, when you first start brewing beer, you start, suddenly realize actually what, what is a beer, what is going in there. And a lot of people who drink and enjoy beer don't even know the basic ingredients. The basic ingredient of beer is barley and more specifically malted barley. So that's when we harvest the barley kernels and we start malting them, which means you basically start the germination process and then you stop the germination process before it creates a plant and that what it does is it creates a lot of sugar in that little grain um, so for those of you who still remember your high school biology class <laughs> where you grew uh, little peas from mm. you know pea and cotton wool and that sort of thing it's, it's the same story a seed will generate a lot of starch 
so that it, it has food for the little plant to grow, and that's exactly what maltsters do when they malt barley. And then they stop that germination process because obviously we're not interested in growing more barley plants. We're interested in that starch, which is a long-chain sugar ultimately. That's the primary ingredient of beer. That's what we often call barley. 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 It's a, it's, it's, uh, and the barleys we use to create beers uh, where, where you put most of the barley in is called the base malt. So that's the malt which is going to produce the most sugar, which will eventually be fermented into alcohol um, by your yeast. And for homebrewers, they can go one of two ways. And uh, the primary thing to, to figure out here is how deeply committed are you to homebrewing? <laughs> how much money do you want to spend? How complicated do you want to get? Um, but there's two basic techniques in brewing your own beer at home. The one is to use an extract, a barley extract. So what, what that is, is it's basically someone who has skipped a couple of steps on your behalf. So they have taken that, that barley grain they have mashed the barley mm. grain, which is steeping it in hot water, basically, to, uh, with the right pH level. And that activates enzymes, which you find naturally inside of the barley plant, which then converts those starches into sugars. So you can basically move straight to fermenting at that point in time? No, you can't. So, so what extract is, is they've done the mashing for you, which activates the sugars. They then run that liquid off the grain bed. That liquid is called wort, W-O-R-T. It's a Scottish word. Wort is the liquid which runs off that process. Then they take that liquid and they basically spray it into these huge towers with fans and, and heat, and it creates a fine powder, which is extract. So it's often dried, but you mm. can get the syrup as well. They, they sometimes don't dry it. They just convert it into a syrup. So either syrup or dried malt extract, or DME, a lot of homebrewers use that term. I've taken some DME in my time. <laughs> it's not that kind of DME. All right. All right. <laughs> Wrong show. And so it's, it's a very sweet, very fine substance. Um, you've got to work kind of carefully with it as a homebrewer because if it touches water, it turns into concrete. Um, but that is one way of, of starting to make your own beer is you use something like dried malt extract, which means you don't have to mash. You don't have to use full grains when you make your first beer. You would often then use other kinds of speciality malts, such as the crystal malts we spoke of earlier when we were tasting the amber ale. And you would steep those in water to activate the, the flavor, and you would extract the sugary flavor out of those malts. But those have already been converted through the kilning process, so they already have sugar in them. You're just basically making a tea out of the, the crystal malts and your roasted malts, your speciality malts. And then you, you take that tea and you put the extract into that, liquid and then you start to boil which is then the second stage of brewing so the first stage of brewing is always mashing so in extract brewing someone's already done that for you and so you get to skip that step mm. um in if you're a full grain home brewer you would do the mashing yourself and you would run off the wort and then you would start boiling the wort mm -hmm. um and then the boil usually lasts for about an hour to 90 minutes in the boil is where you add your hops and any other speciality ingredients you want to add to the beer. But hops is generally the, the thing you add. Generally, the, the hops you add in the beginning of the boil, at, you know, around the start of the boil, will bitter out your beer. It won't add that much flavor to the beer. It will just be the bitterness because the flavor components of hops tend to be very volatile. So when you boil it, they boil off very quickly. So 60 minutes is way too long for those mm. volatiles to remain. And then when you want to add the flavor of the hops, and as we saw with our interview with, with Nicholas a little bit earlier, um, you would add a lot of your flavor and, and sort of aroma hops later in the boil or even in the whirlpool, which is the final step uh, after the boil. Mm. And so as you boil it, 
these oils and the hops get extracted and it adds that sort of layered flavor profile. You can also add some other ingredients depending on the style of beer. So you're going to add sugars, like some Belgian beers you would add in the boil. You would uh, add herbs with some of the beers which have herbs in them or spices or chili and, and so on. Um, so the sky's the limit. You know, you can really that's, experiment. That's basically the cooking pot. It's the cooking pot. And that's what makes beer a very safe drink because everything which is boiled for 60 minutes will be <laughs> sterilized. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why beer in ancient times was considered a really safe drink because it was one of the only drinks people had available which was boiled. Yeah. Water was not safe at all. Mm. You know, it, was, it was a cesspool of yeah, disease. It still isn't. It still isn't. Let's Don't trust it. the water. No. Don't go Don't back drink into the, the water. water. After the boil, you'll cool down that wort. Uh, very rapidly, as as rapidly as you can. There are very good reasons why you want to do it as rapidly as you can. One of them being sanitary conditions. Mm, bacteria growth. Yeah. Exactly. So once once beer reaches 60 degrees temperature Celsius, it, it's able to sustain some micro, you know microbacterial growth. Mm. So that's why you want to you want to really crash chill basically that that wort, and that's when you will pitch your yeast. That's the final part then before you put it in the fermenter. So yeast can only operate at certain restricted temperature ranges. If you put yeast into a very hot liquid, they'll just die. So you can't put it in while you're doing the, the Not boil. at all. It'll just kill them. I mean, yeast is a, is a fungus. So it's to remain viable, um, it, it needs to be pitched at a particular temperature. Usually anywhere between uh, sort of 15 degrees Celsius to 30 degrees Celsius. It's quite a wide range. I mean, it, most yeast manufacturers will recommend an ideal temperature range, something like 22 or 25. Yeah. And so then that rouses the yeast enough to start multiplying. They immediately start eating up all the sugars in that wort, converting it into CO2 and alcohol. Which So yeast does all the work. If, as a brewer, you're kind of just facilitating that process. Sure. But yeast does the heavy lifting for you. And then it, it converts um, some of the sugars, not all of the sugars. It depends on the sugar you've created. Um, so the sugars which are converted into alcohol no longer will be in your beer. They, they have now been changed chemically mm. into CO2 and alcohol. There are certain long-chain sugars which are not fermentable, which, which the yeast will not convert. And that will remain as a flavor. In that the will remain as a flavor. That will create body in your beer. Um, and some yeasts also have different ranges of how much of the sugars they will convert. A lot of your English ale yeasts, for instance, will not convert that much of the sugar. And that's why a lot of your English ales are quite full-bodied. Mm. They have that full-body mouthfeel. Mm. They're a bit sweet. And so if you taste the sweetness, that's the sugars which haven't been fermented. Where if you... Would, sorry, would that, would that imply that your alcohol content is slightly lower? Yes. And in fact, a lot of English ales' alcohol content isn't very high. They're, they're quite low, 3 to 4% sometimes even. So they're real sessionable beers. Mm. You, can, you can boost the alcohol level by, for instance, and a lot of English ales do that, they would, English brewers would add something like Lyle's golden syrup, you know, mm. that lovely stuff you put on toast. Mm. And, and that's an invert sugar. It's pretty much glucose. And glucose is 100% fermentable by yeast. So they'll add that to bump the alcohol level up. Because the yeast will obviously go for that. For sure. So they still get the body, but they get the alcohol level. It'll dry out mm. the beer a little bit on the finish. And, and as opposed to, let's say, your Saison yeast, which we spoke of last, last episode. They're very efficient at converting um, sugar into CO2 and alcohol. That's why Saisons have a light body, a high alcohol, and finish very, very dry. Mm. Because almost all the, sh- the residual sugar in that beer has been fermented out. Sure. Your yeast is a tremendously important component to brewing, and we'll probably have to spend an entire episode on yeast 
and get some experts in to talk about yeast. It's a whole science on its own. But yeah, yeast does a lot of the work and a lot of the flavor comes from yeast. And, and that, now is that added before you cool or while you're cooling? No, it's after you've cooled. Finished. You'll, you'll cool the beer. Down to your 15 or 20 degrees. Sure. And, and you'll then pitch the yeast and then you will stick it in a fermenter. And then you'll leave it. And you've got to sterilize everything which touches cooled wort, including the fermenter, including... Would you have to sterilize yourself, Marcel? You do. You do. You have to clean your hands. You know, if you touch anything, that's a potential, um, mm. you know, bacterial infection. So, so you've got to really work very carefully with your beer. And I think, well, again, future shows dedicate probably an entire episode just to keeping things clean. Mm. Brewing really, whether you're a home brewer or a commercial brewer, is 70% cleaning. It's not that glamorous. <laughs> uh, a lot of Until the chicks come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ladies love the beer. It's, it's a beer groupie. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. That no, really happens, we've been waiting for that for a while. No, we have. But, um, I mean, you mentioned consistency, and I think one of the cool things about being a home brewer versus a commercial brewer is that home brewers don't need to be consistent. You literally never have to repeat the beer if you don't want to. But if you do want to, sure, then, then you probably a, need to have hmm. the equipment that in some way is going to allow you to maintain those Sure, things. and I, I think it's part of the skill of learning how to brew is to mm. become more consistent in your technique. Mm. And, and you will probably find a few beers which you brew which really go down well with your friends and you like them, and that's your go-to beer which you want to consistently brew. Then you yeah. And then you can experiment. But the nice, I mean, the homebrewers do have way more freedom. I mean, they're not, they're not doing this for a commercial purpose. Sure. So they can, they can go wild. My last question on this is, you know, where would a home brewer, if they would like to mm. get hold of a lot of these ingredients, mm. do they have to have international connections that Not can kind of ship these things? Not at all. Are there they're, local companies? There are quite a few. There are quite a few local um, homebrew shops is now. Is it a Google away? It's a Google away. So you don't have to know someone who knows someone who has some underground contact in the Russian mafia. Not at all. So you can, you can check out beginnerbrewer.com our blog um, where we do list under I think the link called useful stuff we link um, to various homebrew shops which you can check out yeah I mean most of them are based you know either in Joburg or Cape Town but there are I think there's one in, in KZN as well but many of them ship nationally so you can order online and you can get your ingredients and you can you can start so it's not mm. that difficult anymore to find you know the basic stuff which you need yeah the last word on this is start small is my recommendation you know, I started more than 10 years ago brewing beer, and I'm very happy that I started kind of conservatively in some ways. I started with extract brewing. I used DME for a long time with some speciality malts. I didn't immediately jump into full-grain brewing. I think it helped me. What I, what I think it did is it taught me the basic technique of brewing. Yeah. It's easy to get all, you know, sort of seduced by the ingredients of beer, you know, the mm. full-grain and... And you get a lot of home brewers who are very unhelpful, and they'll, you know, they'll tell new newbie brewers, "No, you know, must go full grain, have full control of your beer. You, you know, extract beer is shit." Mm. Um, and and they're wrong. Mm. I won mm. brewing competitions with extract beer. Mm. No one knew they were extract beers. I didn't tell them. Was and it? But it's not relevant. Trained beer judges didn't didn't see that as an extract beer. They didn't say, "Oh, but this tastes like an extract beer." Yeah. So if you do the technique right, you will be able to make good beer. Mm. And what's nice about extract brewing is it, it simplifies the moving parts for you as a new brewer so that you can focus on the basic techniques of brewing, which is sanitary, mm. you know, sanitation, the cleaning, process. the process, the, the steps in brewing, getting those sorted out. Mm. Uh, because once you master those, they will, you know, you know be with you forever. The entire thing, yeah. And then you can start with full-grain brewing eventually. And sure, full-grain brewing gives you more control over what styles you're able to access, for instance. Um, some styles are very difficult to make if you can't use base 
certain base malts mm. and, and use them in a, in a full grain method. But, but even, walk before you can run is basically the absolutely. point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Use so, the bucket before you start going out and buying yeah, you know, enormous it's, fermenters. It's like when you learn how to do anything. I mean, if you learn how to learn carpentry, you know, you first need to know how to saw a straight line on a piece mm. of wood before you construct the, you know. <laughs> the Trojan horse. Well, exactly. Give yourself the benefit at least to learn the process first and the technique first before you go full on mm. super full grain. And I think what we should do, Matt, is before the next show, yeah. you and I are going to brew some beer. You keep you keep saying this, yeah, and I'm terrified. You've never done that, so I'm going to terrified. force you to brew some. And we'll do an extract with specialty grain beer. It'll be very simple. It'll take very little time. Okay. And then next time we'll talk about it, and you can tell the listeners about How your experience. How difficult it was. Yeah, that's very. How easy. badly I stuffed that. Well, that that might be true. <laughs> you said it, buddy. You said it. Excellent. So that's, that's our home brew section for today. Okay, cool. So closing off the show. Uh, anything you want to punt or anything you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, no, I don't think so. I didn't. I, I very seldom have anything to say, to be entirely mm. honest. Mm. I, I really enjoyed the beers today. I've got to tell you, um, I they thought nice. I thought um, I thought they were fantastic. Uh, I'm very sorry I didn't get to go to USA on tap with you. I'm, I'm sorry, um, too, but you will be but fine. next next time, uh, yes, the whips and chains will come out. Uh, but it's it's been rad. Uh, what are you up to, Marcel? I am. Not up to much. Um, I'm I'm trying to write a few articles uh, for beginnerbrewer.com, so I'm hoping to to bring those out soon. I might do an article on on SA on tap maybe. Um, let's see how that goes. But other than that, I'm pretty quiet. I'm I'm trying to wind down now towards December. No festivals in December. I think there might be, but I'm I'm one of the. F- Poorest informed people about festivals, and that should probably change. It, it really should, because we're looking to you as like the font of beer knowledge. I know, I know. I'm hoping a listener who's much more uh, informed might want to email me with, with a schedule or something. Like a list of festivals. Please, yeah. dear listener, please email me with a schedule of new events. But generally, there are less and less events as the year goes on, because obviously everyone wants to go and take a break a yeah. little bit. So next time, we will be reviewing beer. We will be talking about homebrewing. We will probably have another band's music to be featured. And by the way, thanks for the motherland for your music. We loved it. It's lovely. Yeah, that's actually really rad. So thank you for for tuning in. Thank you for spending some time with us. Like us, please, on our Facebook page, which is Beginner Brewer. And please... Subscribe on iTunes. Please subscribe to iTunes. I know it's a pain. And rate us. And iTunes is the devil and Apple is Satan. We know this. We know. We know. It does help us a lot in getting out there and more people knowing about the podcast. So please uh, rate us on iTunes. If you don't know how to access podcasts, you can also listen to us on the webpage itself on beginnerbrew.com or just download. Damn it. Download an app. Yeah, use apps. They're apparently very important nowadays. I recommend Overcast, which is a really cool app for uh, podcasts, but you can really use anything. And, and search for us and you'll find us. Hmm. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.